All right, so we're going to continue this morning in the uh, study of the book of the Gospel of Mark, and we've been doing this for a few weeks. Oh, and let me say also, I was so blessed last week, pastor appreciation, the meal and all that stuff was so, so cool, but I was super, super blessed, and I don't know if you believe this or not, but to sit and listen and take notes, and I'm not saying that like that's what you should all be doing, that's just how I really, I love to learn that way. So I would encourage you, I don't know if I was mentioned this morning yet or not, but we have engagement sheets. That's why we make those every week so that this could be a productive time for you, th- that you'll be listening to the Lord, not necessarily listening to me, reading the scripture, praying, listening to the Lord, setting this time aside to, to hear. I was just so blessed last week because of pastor appreciation to be able to listen and take notes. That happens anytime anyone else preaches the word as well. But uh, I just want to share a word of thanks for the opportunity to sit and and listen. It was really awesome last week uh, to get us kind of back up to speed here and what we're doing in the Gospel of Mark. We're just kind of walking through the Gospel of Mark, the entire book, line by line. That means that you can tell where we're going to start next time, so we're going to stop there this time. So that's what we're going to do all the way through. Uh, we'll probably take some breaks. Thanksgiving's come up, Christmas is coming up, and stuff like that. So we'll be doing that as well. A few weeks ago, I told you that I had made this word cloud. A word cloud is like this cool little thing you can put together that kind of illustrates uh, the most prominent words in a book. And I forgot this two weeks in a row. I got it this week. So I put the words, all the words in the Gospel of Mark in, and I kind of had, a, you know, being a, a preacher, pastor, whatever, I kind of had this expectation of what would be the most important word. And then I saw this, and I was blown away, and I told you all this. I was like, wow. You know, it was like, so the bigger words in the word cloud are things that appear more regularly, and the small words, and there are some words that are so tiny you can't even see them, are words that appear less frequently in the text. Uh, so this is kind of a cool technology that we have these days, and it kind of lets you know what the prominent, so you can see. I love this one, and this is randomized, by the way, but it says, came one man, right? And the law is pretty big and other things like that, so we get to kind of see. It does delete words that are um, like the and a, but then I thought, you know what, where's Jesus? And I told you guys this a few weeks ago, I want to show you the difference. So there was a little slider, and what it was is there were some words that appeared so much that if you put those in, they would trump all the other words in the book. And so I want to show you the accurate word cloud scale to to what the book is about. And I know you're like, well, yes, the Bible, but I mean, like, Mark was hot and heavy after this issue of who Jesus is. And you can see, and that's, again, completely randomized, but there's the words, Jesus will, Jesus said, and disciples and discipleship. And so I wanted to share it with you just because I thought it was a, a really powerful illustration of how prominent the text is about what it's talking about, which is this good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ for God's people. And so we're going to talk about that again this week. Um, we've kind of walked through a little bit, you know, John the Baptist coming saying, get ready, make straight the paths of the Lord. We talked about Jesus being baptized and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being present and the Father speaking over Jesus and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and resting and lighting on Jesus, the text say, and, and our own ability to participate in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well, to be renewed by the Spirit of God, to be redeemed, to be born again. And then we talk about Jesus' invitation to come follow him, right? So we're all welcome to do that, to respond to those three simple words, come follow me. As a matter of fact, we'll hear him again today in another narrative from the Gospel of Mark, come follow me, okay? And then we talked about this authority that Jesus demonstrated, that he has all authority, absolute authority to do things because he is indeed the very Son of God, Son of Man. And so that's kind of where we are to get to remind you kind of where we are in the book. 
And um, this is all really early. We're still in chapter 2 this week of the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to, I want to read it. We're going to have a pretty big chunk of text, but we're going to boogie through today as well. So hopefully you kind of come and you're ready to do that. If you have feedback about how we're doing this, talk to me about it. But I'm just kind of really been praying through and wanting to kind of talk about these big views. We talked last week about how we were kind of what it's like to walk with Jesus and experience Jesus. This week we want to talk about the reality of how Jesus lived his life and the reality of how others responded to Jesus. Because I think we get this wrong a lot. I think we get a lot wrong a lot, and I get plenty wrong. But there's something that we should learn from the text about how people uh, respond to Jesus and how Jesus engages and responds to them. So um, I want to read the text, and then uh, we will pray, and then we'll spend some time talking. You can turn if you want in your own Bible. Let's see, I think I have it here. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It should be around page 700. If you don't have one of your own Bibles, grab one of ours and check it out. Read that if you would. And we're going to read through 312. This is what the Word says. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and, as, uh, and, and he began to teach them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and followed him. There are those words, right? Come follow me. 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples because there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus replied like this, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. As the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he was with his companions, and they were hungry and in need? In the days of Albathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions as well. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot 
with Herodias how they might kill Jesus. Seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard what he was doing, all the people, many people, came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan and Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him because he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders, or he commanded them not to share who he was. That's the word of the Lord. Let us pray, and then we'll spend some time talking it through. Father God, we thank you so much today for the chance to come here and worship you with everything that we have, with our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength. Father God, we come into your house to, to sit at your feet, to hear from you and your word, to indeed let your Holy Spirit rule and reign here. And so, Lord, today we ask that you would do that work for your glory and the good of your people. I pray for my friends who are here and myself, for those parts of our hearts and our lives that we're still clinging to, that we want to control or hold on to, that we would instead render them unto you, our Creator, rightly, that we would sit at your feet and listen to what you would have to teach us today. And Father, I pray that for every person who's here today, we would not leave the same but change, that your word would challenge us in such a way that we would actually be transformed by, by conforming to your word and not the world that we live in every day. May you be glorified. We absolutely 100% need you, Jesus, to do this work in our lives. We cannot do it of ourselves. And so we pray, Father, you would do it for your glory. Continue, Father, to call us as your disciples, as your followers, as your people into your kingdom and under your lordship. And we pray in your name. Amen. So I know when we go through that, there's like a lot of text there, right? Lots of things. But I, I, again, I was trying to find that spot where we could stop and talk about what exactly is going on here in the book of Mark. And, and, and we've kind of had this initial call to disciples to follow Jesus. And there's been this amazing healing ministry. But I wanted to kind of start off, and we see it right there in 13, this reality that people begin to flock to Jesus, right? That's an interesting term, a phrase, by the way. They flock to Jesus. Once again, when he went out beside the lake, this is a familiar lake in Galilee, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Uh, that's what the NIV says. But what it actually says is it says, everyone began to come to Jesus. Everyone began to crowd in close to Jesus when he was by the lake again. There, I want us to understand today that there's this, and I don't think, this is one of the things I think we get wrong, is that Jesus himself is appealing to people. I know we spend a lot of time in church saying, oh, people don't want Jesus because they're afraid he's going to convict them of their sin. I get that. I'm afraid Jesus can convict me of my sin, you know. But there's something about Jesus and who he is and the way he functions that people do want to come to Jesus. Matter of fact, I've shared this with you recently, but there's a book called They Love Jesus But Not the Church. Basically making the case that the problem that people have is not with Jesus, but with Jesus' people. Now we can talk about whether that's valid or not, but the reality is here we see in the witness of the Gospel of Mark that people begin to flock to Jesus. They begin to come to him and this is rooted in his authority 
and, and what, uh, what he has demonstrated in their lives, both authority uh, to teach, but authority to heal, to command, to, uh, and we're going to see more of that today. He's going to begin to reshape our understanding of what the law is for and who the law is for. And so I kind of want to set that up. There's this idea that people are coming to Jesus, right? Now, as he's walking along, we're going to spend a minute identifying this character, and then we're going to talk about these over big arching text things. He sees this guy named Levi, right, setting, uh, the son of Alphaeus, setting at the tax collector's booth. Now, I'll bet you most of you have heard this story before, right? Who's heard that before? Jesus, that's right. Most people have heard this. I mean, I know I've heard it a whole bunch um, in my time in the church, and I wasn't even raised in a church that preached the word, and I've still heard it tons and tons, um, this calling of Levi. So I want to so talk for a minute about who this dude is, and then we'll talk— um, about it. So this name Levi, by the way, it's not just like a pair of jeans, you know, Levi. It's like a namesake thing, but it literally means one who lends or one who borrows. I don't know if that was, you know, serendipitous or whatever that his parents named him that, and he would be one who lends and borrows by a trade, you know, but that's what his name kind of rooted in as a lender or a borrower, right? And then my favorite thing that I found when I was looking at this was his parents' name was one who doesn't stick around or one who's transient. So it's like someone who's kind of there for a while and going to move on to something else. So not only um, someone who's going to borrow or lend, but someone who's not going to stick around after they do it. Either way, that's probably a bad deal, I would say, right? If you're going to lend to people and stick around, that seems super sketchy. But if you're going to borrow, if you're going to take from people and you're going to be the kind of guy that's going to leave, and they're just names, but that's going to right away put up some radars like, I don't trust that guy. That guy's a scoundrel. You know who that guy's dad is? That guy's dad's the guy who doesn't stick around. He's not trustworthy. And Jesus says to that guy, follow me. It's a really simple invitation, and we get just a glimpse of it. I believe the other uh, Gospels might expound on it a bit, but here we get just a glimpse of it. And then Levi, by the way, um, just to make the connection for you, Levi is the disciple that becomes Matthew, right? So, so he becomes uh, Matthew in the Bible. And so there's this immediate response, just like we see with the other disciples. Jesus said, come follow me, and Matthew, Levi, gets up and follows him. I just want to leave that there as, as a, some understanding. We're going to read on the text, okay? So he's sitting at the tax collector's booth, and this is something else I think we have a hard time understanding. We get taxes. We understand taxes, right? We understand the, the, the drama of taxes. We file ours every year. But I, I think it's a little different. Can you imagine? I, I was trying to think of this like practically. Like what would it look like to be walking down the street and walking by the tax man? You see, you and I will go to someone like H&R Block, someone that's on our side, you know, a CPA who's going to file our taxes or we're going to do it ourselves. And there's this distance between us and the people taking our money, right? I mean, but this situation was he was right there taking your money. Like that was his job. And, and you've probably heard this, but he was a Jew. And so he was taking money from his people uh, for the government that didn't necessarily represent his people. Matter of fact, oppressed his people. But I, I, what I got hung up on was this idea of a booth, of a spot that you would set and catch people as they go. The thing that came to mind for me was a toll booth. I don't know if anyone likes toll roads. Does anyone like toll roads? You know when I like toll roads? Whenever I'm driving on them. Because they're super nice. You know, you can see the difference between a, a toll road and a government road when you're driving on it. It's just like wide, straight, flat, beautiful. I mean, 
it, it's, it's like, this is the way it should be. You know what I don't like toll roads? <laughs> when you get to the end, and that guy or that lady in the booth is like, 550. What? Really? You know, uh, I, should I pay for this pleasure of driving on this road? And that's kind of what it was like with the tax collectors. They were the, they were the end of the road. They were the last person you would see before you would leave with your money and you would have to give them some of your stuff. Kind of like a cashier at a buffet. Have you ever been to one of those buffets, like a, a cafeteria, and you go in there and you're just, oh, I want the pizza and I want the hamburger and I want this. And you're like, this is awesome. And then you get to the cashier and they're like $25. And you're like, for me? <laughs> Can I put some things back? That's what this was. So you get to this guy, and you're like, yeah, I'm doing good. And then you go, ugh. I mean, I can't even imagine if our tax process worked that way. Well, I think that they couldn't. I mean, the person in the booth would be in real moral danger, would they not? If, if you had to take your money at the end of the year and get there and then stop and then pay that guy, that's why we mail him in, right? That's why they take him out of our paychecks. And they just give us, look, you got a refund. Don't, don't pay the toy we kept. We just, you got a refund. Kind of turn that around. This was the role that, that guy was in, and, and this, this absolute, uh, it seemed unjust. It didn't seem fair or right to be doing that job. I'll tell you uh, two other quick stories about tolls. This is kind of funny. One was in Chicago. I was ripping through Chicago on the interstate, and there was all this stupid traffic on the left side of the highway, and the right side, or maybe it was the right side, and the left side was wide open. So I'm like, I'm going around the traffic, man. And then I realized I was ripping under these things called fast pass thingies. And if you don't live in Chicago, you don't know, but that means that you're violating the law by avoiding the lines in the toll booth, which I didn't know. So we got home, we had to look it up, you know, yep, sure enough, I, I blew like three tolls, I had to pay it online, you know, and that was bad enough. I was already aggravated. They should make those signs more obvious. I didn't know I was on a toll road. I don't know how I even got here. This isn't my car. No, those things weren't true. <laughs> that was my car. I knew how I got there. Our youth went out to Colorado. They were going snowboarding, skiing. They've been back for three months, and I got a citation in the mail. I didn't even go to Colorado, and I got a ticket. And the ticket had penalties on it for not paying our toll. I was like, called up Colorado. I'm like, hey, Colorado, uh, you sent me this thing, and it's not right. And they said, we have the picture. And they sent me a picture of my van blowing tolls in Colorado. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I want my van out too. Uh, it just seemed unjust. These things when they, and, and so this is the guy. And so I can imagine how these fishermen, they're like, yeah, we're fishermen, salt of the earth, we work hard. But that guy, and Jesus says, hey, follow me. Man, this is going to break open this text, right? Because we should already be offended. See, we're not too offended by Levi or Matthew. We're like, that's cool because we know who he's going to become. Listen, who he's going to become, but, but we don't see who he is when Jesus calls him. We don't see it, how despicable, how despised that he would be. Literally, Matthew's job would be translated as a tax farmer. He goes through your fields and he gleans part of your harvest that you worked for. It's rightly yours. He takes it for himself and for the government. So this is the person that they encounter. Okay, so check it out. And there's a time jump here, but 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples 
because there were, here's the word again, many who followed him. So we've kind of made a jump here from this moment where Jesus says, hey, follow me, Levi, to this moment where Jesus is in Levi's house hanging out with his friends. Now, our translations say he ate with them, but it means they were reclining at the table. Like they were chilling. They were totally like guard down, hanging out, being buddies with the Son of God, the Son of Man in a tax collector's house. And there was a bunch of them. It wasn't like there was just a few and they were being polite and they were trying to put their silver in the right order, right? They're just with the fork. Which fork do I use at dinner with Jesus? No. They were just like, it's me, man. I'm a tax collector. It's me. I'm a sinner. And they're hanging out with the Son of Man, the Son of God, this great Messiah, this great teacher, Jesus. And we have to see that. So it's in 15. While Jesus was reclining at the table at Levi's house, here it is, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and eating with the disciples. This was a scandal. This is ridiculous. No righteous person would hang out with them. But they were there because there were many who agreed to follow Jesus. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. I just want to spend a minute. We spend a lot of time saying this, and that's what I want to kind of get to today a little bit. Isn't it amazing that Jesus eats with sinners? Isn't that amazing? That Je- In a minute, when Jesus answers, he's going to say, I came to call the sick. I came to call the broken. I came to call the down and out. Listen, I came to call the worthless. And, and we, that's what the Greek means. The sick, it doesn't mean just like, I'm sick. It means you have no value. You have no worth. No one respects you. And Jesus said, this is the people I came to call. And, and that, again, should blow us away. That was his answer. And we marvel. I mean, maybe you don't. I marvel that Jesus eats with sinners. But you know what's funny? Before that, the text says the sinners are eating with Jesus, which is equally unlikely. I mean, remember Peter, when he sees Jesus in the boat, he falls down. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a people of unclean lips. Get away. But these, I mean, this is like gospel hope, man. These um, people who are told they have no value, they're far from God, they will hang out with Jesus. Yes. And let, get this straight, church. They will hang out with Jesus' people. Yes. Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? You used to be fishermen. And they'll eat and break bread and celebrate. You see, Jesus begins or continues this ministry inviting others to be part of it. As a matter of fact, he doubles down. He says, this is the people I've come to call. This is the people I've come to call. Look at, look at what it says. On, on hearing this, in verse 17, Jesus said to them, those who are asking the questions, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, the worthless, the empty, the broken. I mean, come on. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, those who are missing the mark, not the people who are doing it right. That's not who I'm after. And, and I guess I'm so passionate about this because I fall in this trap myself. I mean, I don't know if you do, to believe that Jesus came to call to those, those who have it together. That he's more pleased when you pretend to have it together. 
But that's not what we have recorded in the Gospel of Mark at all. Matter of fact, let's press on into this question that seems unrelated, but I believe it's completely related to these sinners that Jesus is hanging out with. It says, now John's disciples, now be John the Baptist's disciples, and the Pharisees, that's described as teacher of the law, were both fasting, religiously fasting. They were, they were abstaining from food and maybe some, from drink. They were doing it to glorify God. They were doing it to, um, you know, to connect to God. And some people, now get this, it wasn't the Pharisees or John's disciples, but some other people came and they asked Jesus, how is it that those disciples of John and the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not fasting? So I want you to get the image. It's not just that then they're sitting at the table hanging out in Matthew's house that things are a little sketchy, but whenever they're walking around, they're eating and drinking. As a matter of fact, remember that's what Jesus says later. John came abstaining from food and drink, and you called them crazy. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you called him a drunkard and a glutton. Because Jesus is like, yeah, this is the time to feast. This is the time to eat. This is the time to celebrate. And to make the point here, when Jesus is asked, well, why aren't they fasting? Jesus begins to teach. I keep saying begins, but he continues to teach this new reality that something different is happening in his presence. And here's what it says. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them in the room? In other words, if you're going to a guy's wedding party and the guy who's getting married is in the room with you and he's offering you food and drink, how can you not eat and drink with him? It's a celebration. It's his wedding. It's his moment. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and on that day they will fast. And that fasting, I believe, is not a religious observance fasting, but it's that gut moment, I believe, is tied directly to the moment when Jesus is on the cross. And the disciples who have been walking and have this freedom and this time with Jesus and been, you know, kind of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and doing all this stuff that they've been told this you shouldn't do that all of a sudden in that moment he's gone and they're sick about it you remember what it says it says they go to the room to pray man just can't believe what's happened you see there's a time for fasting but this was not it because the bridegroom was there because he's the messiah He's different. And I think that we have to understand that. And even in our day today, we need to understand that when we see people and we begin ourselves to follow Jesus, this is the time that we celebrate. Jesus is with us. God is with us. He goes on to kind of give two illustrations here. He says it's like a new piece of cloth that's not shrunk, not pre-shrunk. You tie it on an old garment, and as soon as you launder it, it's going to rip the garment. It's going to make a bigger hole than was there before. The garments wore out. Don't do that. And then he makes an even more poignant one, I believe, with the new wine and the old wineskins. He's like, they're, it's, it's going to ferment and it's going to burst them. They can't even control it. They can't even contain it. On one hand, it's a very kind of accessible uh, allegory. But on the other hand, it's talking about this new teaching of a covenant, a promise made in Jesus' name and his blood that's going to burst forth to the whole world. And he says the old promise can't contain the new promise. No, you pour it in new wineskins. These disciples, he's investing this new covenant, this new promise. Do you see who I am? Who do you say that I am? And he begins uh, to um, invest this new promise to them. How can the friends of the bridegroom fast when he's with them, right? He's telling this story. There's a brand new thing here that's happening. It's not the old thing. 
a new thing. And it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. So we have that kind of moment where why aren't they fasting? And then again, the story expands even more. And we can take these all separate, but I want to kind of roll them together because I think there's something that's happening. One Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields now, just walking through the fields that are not yet harvested. And his disciples were walking along and they began to pick some heads of grain, like just the little parts of the grain. They began to pop them off. And I'm assuming maybe eat them, maybe not eat them. I don't know, you know, but he was, they were pulling them off of the harvest. And this is the accusation that comes now from the Pharisees. This isn't someone else asking, why don't you fast like the Pharisees fast? The Pharisees are fasting, man. They are hungry. They are righteous. They are holy. And they see this, and they believe it's an unholy act. The accusation is this. How can they do work on the Sabbath? That's what is happening here. It's tied to them eating the grains. It's tied to them, you know, I'm hungry and they're eating. You've been eating the whole time you've been here. You guys are out of control. But I'm going to find that one little rule. I'm going to find that one little law that you are not obeying, and I'm going to use it to abuse you. I'm going to say, wait, wait, wait. You, you, you say you're a follower of the true God, but you're picking grain on the Sabbath. Your, your disciples are taking they're working. Now, can you begin to see how this connects in church world? Like, and I'm saying this confessionally, but we find people, man, and they're like, they're like, you start to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died to forgive you. Jesus wants you to have new life in his name. It's a whole new teaching. And people who believe they were forgotten and far from God go, what? Me? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. And they begin to walk with Jesus. They begin to read scripture and pray. I've never felt this way before in my life. I can't believe it. And then someone like me comes along and says, I did what are you doing? What? You're doing, you're breaking the rules. Don't you know there's rules? Do you see? And the disciples, they just got a few grains in my hand. And you could say, wait a minute, Levi was a Jew, he knew better, right? These guys that Jesus called, they, they knew better. But that's what we do. And, and then we act as if they don't belong. Yeah, I know Jesus died for your sins, but you're not following the rules. And we find it some way to begin uh, to separate ourselves from sinners who are absolutely in need of a Savior who says, I am with you. The law does not apply because I am with you. If you're not with me, the law applies. But when I'm with you, this is what Paul spent so much time writing to church about. Do you understand, church? He is our righteousness. They were picking these heads of grain. Jesus tells this story to answer it. He doesn't even talk about the heads of grain. He goes, let me tell you a story about something crazier than that. Do you remember King David? Do you remember our great forefather, King David? Do you remember when he was battling and he had all his warriors and they were starving? He went into the temple and he took consecrated bread. He took the show bread. He took the bread that no one's supposed to touch. And he gave it to his disciples to eat. And he ate some himself because they were hungry. You know the David you claim? Do you remember when he did that? And I, I'm blown away because he's talking now about disciples who are taking little bitty grains compared to someone who goes into the temple and takes the showbread and 
breaks it open and says, take and eat all of you. Right? I mean, this is this model that we begin to see Jesus throw out. Walking that line, following Jesus, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like King David. He entered the house of God and he ate consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests. And he gave some to his companions, right? And then Jesus said this. And see, here's what Jesus does. He turns his teaching on his head. All the time they believe that it is the job of the law to rule the people. And that's what we do. Give us the rules, we'll apply them to everyone equally. <laughs> but Jesus says this. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. Don't miss that. He's like, you weren't created to be run through the strainer of something you cannot live up to. That is not the goal of the law. The law was not intended to create a barrier that there's no way you can get through. That is not what it was. Man was created first, and the law was to be a blessing to man. I want you to hear what I'm saying. This idea of a Sabbath rest. We're not going to spend time talking about Sabbath necessarily, but we act like, don't, don't work on Sunday. Don't, don't do these things. You know, whatever the rules are, don't do that. And he's like, no, don't misunderstand this. I didn't make man to run them through my grinder of rules they can't live up to. I made the rules so that they might prosper and be blessed. I made the rules they might relate to me and understand that they aren't God and that I am. It was that the, the Sabbaths were made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I think we can blow right over that line. Like, I don't know if you have. I have. Blow right over that line. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah. No, do we? Do we? It was meant to be a blessing. In our own uh, reading and understanding of Scripture, we, we have a tendency to take the Scripture, the things that God said is right and just and good, and we lay them over our fellow men and we go, you don't measure up. And we jam them through a screen and they come out and they're hurt and bleeding and damaged. And we go, see, you're a sinner just like we thought. <laughs> no, no. The Word was written the other way around. So you might go, listen, sinners, there's a way forward. God has a plan for you. He has better things for you. It's not about restraint you from doing things that you you shouldn't do it's about allowing you to live in a space that you should live in and it goes all across our understanding of scripture is it is it you know in our own lives is it because God um, doesn't want us to have fun <laughs> is it because God wants us to be like footy dirty dirty footy you know or is it God's like there's freedom in obeying me I made you I know how you work be no longer drunk on wine. Be drunk with the Holy Spirit. How you choose to function as a, a sexual being changes your whole life. I made you. I know you. And see, that's completely different than saying, you're breaking the rules. And we fall in that trap all the time with the Pharisees. No. Sabbath was made for the man. The ideas of how we move forward are a blessing from God. It's supposed to be good celebrated, desired. Oh, Lord, that I would live in your obedience, that I would know your blessings, that I would know your plan and your comfort. Do you know what I'm saying? That's not the same thing as if I could just keep all your rules, maybe you'd be satisfied with me. That's not where we're called to live. The last point he kind of rolls into this is it says this. 
another time, a different time, he was in a synagogue on a Sabbath. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. The only reason these dudes are hanging out with Jesus is to see if somebody's going to break the rules. And that's how it can be for us sometimes. We hang out with other Christians just to see who's going to break the rules and go, aha, you broke the rules. I knew you were going to break the rules. You're a sinner, just like I thought. As if it's a revelation, people. We're all sinners. So here in this moment, and by the way, I've seen this illustrated one time and I've never forgotten it. I don't know if you were there or not, but there was this beautiful illustration of this, that this guy who had the bad hand was probably hiding it in the synagogue because if anyone saw that he wasn't whole, he wasn't complete, he wasn't right, he wasn't righteous, they would say, get out of here. This is no place for unholy, unclean people. And the, the Pharisees show up hoping to see Jesus, to catch him doing this. What is he going to do? Is he going to find one here that's not supposed to be here? And is he going to do something crazy? I saw this illustration um, told from the point of view of, of this man who was standing there and just goes, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me, right? I mean, can you imagine that pressure? I want to be part of what God's doing, but I got this brokenness. Don't pick me. Don't, don't ask me to stand up. And Jesus asked this question. Which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? <laughs> to kill or, or to, um, to give life? To save life? Now, there's a show-stopping question in a church service. If there's never been a more obvious answer to that question, here's this guy standing up. He's not whole. Everyone's seeing it. And Jesus asked everyone, what should we do? Give life or kill? Should we do good or evil? And I mean, come on, church, we're going good, 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 right? Life, life, life. <laughs> but they, all, they remained silent. We don't know. We're here as a church. Should we do good or evil? We don't know. What do you... What do you mean? What do we mean? We don't know. Boy, look at the response. It says, Jesus looked around at them in anger, and he was deeply distressed at the stubbornness of their hearts. I mean, that they couldn't even answer this very basic question. Good. <laughs> Life. Yes. And then he turned to the man, and he said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And you would think this would be that moment where Jesus goes, I told you, life, good, Sabbath, made for the man, not man. This is what we're doing here, church. This is what we're celebrating here. Broken people made whole. People who haven't figured out yet, included in the kingdom of God. A, a welcome, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I know, like, it seems crazy to even say this, but that we would um, allow people to draw near to Jesus. Then the Pharisees left and began to plot with the rulers how they might kill him. We've had enough of his good works, of his life, of his hope, of his healing, and they leave. It's crazy to me. So the addendum here, the postlude, we're going to stop with this. Look at what happens. Jesus left with his disciples, went to the lake, 
and a large crowd came out to Jesus because they never stopped. They were never worried about religious people. They were never worried about the Pharisees. They never worried about the rules. They needed healing and hope and a way forward, and they crowded onto Jesus to the point that he had to put out in a boat. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready when I get there to keep people from crushing him, and he healed many so that the diseases, with diseases who were pushing forward to just touch him, and again, evil spirits knew who he was. And he said, you will say nothing of it. He didn't suggest it. He commanded it. This is my kingdom. This is a new promise. These are my people. I don't know. And I mean, this is such a hard thing to get through my own thick skull. But I don't know how much, how long we should work on this idea that we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And that whenever anyone else, anywhere, begins to draw near to Jesus, we should be saying, yes. We trust Jesus enough with you, yes. And not like the Pharisees going, oh, you're going to screw this up in a minute. As if we haven't. I don't know where you are in your own journey if you believe that Jesus came for those righteous, uptight people who think they have it figured out or if you believe what the word says that he came for the empty and the worthless and the broken and guess what that means me and you and our flaws and he says these are my people these are my people stand up and be healed it takes so much courage and conviction and belief in Jesus to live a life there and not on the safe legalistic side but we have a tendency to get there one of the things that um, Paul writes to the church I think if we understood this would help so much is I'm going to share this with you he says so when you a mere man pass judgment on others and yet do the same things do you not do you think that you too will escape God's judgment? And, then he, and this is what I, blows me away. Because this is how we come to know Jesus ourselves, church. This is the great revelation for us. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that what God's kindness leads us to repent? That for those sinners who are sitting at the table with Jesus breaking bread, it wasn't like they were going to stay that way. How could you in his mercy and grace? How could I? And Paul makes this great case where he says, do you not know, church, that the kindness of God leads to godly repentance? That the mercy of a Savior who says, I forgive you or forgive them, they don't know what they do, washes over us and makes us whole, allows us to be included. Do you find yourself being drawn to the real Jesus? I do. Don't, don't, don't stray. Draw near to Jesus. Recline at the table. Break bread with him. Or have you ever found yourself at the table amazed, amazed that you're there and then uncomfortable because of who else you see? Do you ever find that in your own life? If so, repent of it. Repent of it. And if you do, 
if I do, if we repent of that sin against brothers and sisters who are just drawing near to the Savior that we love, we too can relax at the table, right? We can trust Jesus. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the uh, band to come back up, but I want you to think about that in your own life. Are you comfortable, like, just hanging out with Jesus, letting, you know, Jesus is who I am, all my flaws, all my, my good, my bad, my ugly. Are you comfortable being with others who are willing to do that? And if not, would you repent? Would I repent of that sin? Yes. To be in his presence is worth it. I want to pray for us. Pray with me if you want. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to celebrate his goodness through worship. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the power of your word, but more the power of your son. The power of the righteous king who came to call and claim his kingdom people. Father God, for the work that you do through your Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise. Father, for the fact that we are sinners, that we are tax collectors, that we are cheats, that we are unhealthy, unholy people, and yet you come to us. We give you thanks and praise. And in indebtedness, we can never repay. We continually stand and just worship you because you claimed us. You allowed us. You invited us in. Father, for those times, and boy, I felt it today. My brothers and sisters felt it that that, that we've looked at others with contempt as you tried to save them, that we looked and judged and excluded when you were trying to reach and include and transform. Would you forgive us for that sin? Would you help us to find a way to just be with you and trust you with what you're doing? And Father, may we be the kind of people, and dare I say the kind of church, that would say yes. Jesus is working, so yes. Jesus is here, so yes. We love you so much, Father. We long to sit and rest at that table. We long to just be satisfied that we are sinners being redeemed with a kindness that we cannot afford. You are so good to us. We thank you so much. We pray for our friends, our family who don't know your grace and mercy. We pray that we might be part of that, carrying your goodness into this world that you be glorified, that we be made whole. Would you convict us and help us to stand up and bear witness? We love you so much. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray it in Jesus' name.